Welcome to the third TTSS of this TDV term, the second term here in Oxford. And today we are very fortunate indeed to have Gregory Fogg here um, on live from Colorado, and um, who is the Director of Research at the Sajor Foundation. Um, before joining the Foundation, Gregory was part of the Open Phonology Research Project with Professor Jonathan Silk at the University of Leiden. He also worked as a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Heidelberg, Heidelberg and a visiting professor of Buddhist studies at the University of Bochum. Sorry. Um, Gregory has published on a wide variety of topics, including Mahayana Sutra translations, Tibetan Tantric rituals, Dzogchen teachings, and digital humanities methods. And today, Gregory is going to talk to us about his research on Nongchampa and towards a textual discourse. So please, Gregory, thank you very much for joining us and um, take it away. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me today to, to talk about my research. Uh, thank you to Jake and TGSS for, for having me. Um, I would like to thank first Sarah Foundation and the Open Philology Project, because what I'm going to show you today is, is something I've been working on the past years, uh, both at Sarah and uh, at Leiden University. So I'm very grateful for having had, you know, uh, uh, the support to develop these tools I'm going to uh, show uh, next. So today I'm going to talk about Longchenpa and and you know his his use basically of of terminology uh, on Buddha nature. So I'll say a word about that, but maybe very briefly uh, about Longchenpa. I assume that most of us know uh, know him. He's one of the most famous figure of the figures of the uh, Nyingma school. So he was both a scholar and treasure revealer, revealer born in central uh, Tibet. And he was also a contemplative and a teacher. So we find a variety of texts in his, um, in his uh, um, corpus sungbum, you know, collected works. So he has remained uh, until today, one of the most important really, uh, you know, source of inspiration for, for this tradition. And he's said to have composed uh, roughly 300 works, a bit above that including a seminal text on the Dzogchen Nintic tradition. So here we have basically uh, the four, fourfold heart essence, the Nintic uh, Yapshi, the Zedin, the sort of seven treasuries, Nyelso Korsum, so the trilogy of finding comfort and ease, and then the trilogy of uh, natural freedom, the Longjol Korsum. So these are really his main works and works we're going to have a look at today. So here I'm going to first maybe define a few things. When I'm talking about this textual discourse analysis, what am I talking about? And, and here, what is it we're trying to do? So first, we're trying to uh, better understand how Lung Chenpa uses the notion of Buddha nature. And that's really the main, the main thing. So is there any evolution that is discernible in this thought? Or is this thought context dependent when he's talking about Buddha nature? And finally, what should we read? So we said that his, his old collected works include roughly say, 300 works. So where should we start? And this uh, presentation basically is going to focus on, on this particular aspect, namely, how do you deal with uh, an author when you want to understand what's going on with regard to a specific problem when you're dealing with a corpus, a large corpus of text? So this is where basically these uh, digital humanities uh, tools I'm going to 
to talk about are, are very useful. So this is something that I think can be of interest for researchers. So yeah, if you want to just document and understand and study, investigate, but for translators as well, because if you have to translate a, a specific terminology, for example, that is very technical, very specialized, then it's good to have some ideas about, about all the aspects we're going to go through today. So now I'm not going to, to spend too much time here because I, I want to focus on more the tools and the methods, but I have to define what I, what I understand with this course first. And here I'm, I'm going with something that is fairly um, mainstream in, in the field of discourse analysis. So it's uh, based on the work of Sicurel, Foucault, Maginot, and Ricoeur mainly. So we have uh, on the most basic level, a discourse that is defined as a communicative practice, organizing an array of statements about a specific topic in a structured and systematic way. Now, these discourses don't arise ex nihilo, right? They're embedded in communities. And that's where, you know, we have a kind of very uh, interesting here aspect, which is the interplay between the intentionality of, you know, an author's uh, discourse on, on, on a specific point, and then basically the situationality, which is the social context located in time and space in which this author is, you know, basically uh, related to. So we have here two main aspects. And today I'm going to focus only on, on this one, on this, on the intentionality, the indexical purpose, basically, of this course. So about situationality, I'm sure most of you are aware with all these things, discourse setting would be what Foucault understands as dispositive, you know, uh, mainly it's basically all the material and social infrastructure, legitimizing and regulating discourse. We're talking about institutions, communities, organizations, locations, symbols, sacred places, practices, rituals, activities. So that's the discourse setting. Then the discourse arena is what Foucault calls the discursive field, namely, it's the field within which the um, various discourse positions are in competition or in conflict even sometimes. So this is another important uh, social aspect of dimension of discourse. And then we have the archive and the archive is basically, um, here I'm following uh, another Foucauldian term, but here I'm following Mangno, who in the context of religious studies distinguishes three types of uh, archive, namely architects. So here in the context that be canonical scriptures, for example, Dzogchen Tantras, and this Tesserist, so this repository of, of uh, essential key text, a regulatory corpus, so usually texts um, about prohibitions and prescriptions to you know, regulate religious life, and then an indexical corpus, which is the type of text we're interested in today, uh, basically text, a body of texts, that are defining how one should understand or, or negotiating how one should understand the thesaurus of architects. So that's for the context. I might use some of these terms sometimes, but what is important for, for me today is to understand the intentionality of Longchen Pao when he's using uh, Buddha nature. So now here we, we use, to do that, we use basically, um, you know, I mean, namely, it's, I mean, well, it's difficult. We know that trying to get into an author's head is difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of, a, you know, a, a Collingwood who was teaching at Oxford University and, you know, that for him, the thought 
aspect in historical matters is very important. So what we're, so, I mean, historical actors intending to do, uh, basically. But I, here I think that we don't have to try to, you know, um, uh, project a thought. What are we going to do here with regard to the intention, intentionality of the author is to understand what is the indexical purpose of, of text, basically. And here we mean what kind of basically semantic indexation is happening in relation to terms that are used by the author in a way that's repeated, recurrent, and sometimes systematic. Meaning, what is interesting here is what is the meaning ascribed to statements in relation to situations. And so for to understand that, to uncover that, we're trying to focus on four things, essentially problematization. So basically, you know, when is uh, a theme, a topic becoming, you know, like, like central as a problem that needs a resolution. So that's one thing we can in investigate in all these texts. Classifications. So what kind of basically, you know, categories related to attributes or qualities or various aspects are defined and used there. And these ca categories, these classifications are not neutral. So if you're in the Dachshund text, for example, the main categories used will be very much related to, to that uh, topic. So the usage of classification is very important to get a sense of what is happening in the text. Interpretive framework. So here we're talking about basically the background knowledge on the most essential level is necessary to accomplish the indexical purpose of the text. So basically, how do you prime the audience? What kind of like situations are referring to that the audience is familiar with so that you can get your, your message across? And then finally, emplotment. And emplotment, uh, I will talk later a bit more about it, but in brief, it's like basically uh, inspired by Ricoeur's, you know, uh, mise en intrigue, where you have a prefiguration of a situation, configuration or reconfiguration, and, and the refiguration at the end. And we'll see that uh, basically this has to do with the uh, sequentiality of statements that are giving uh, rise to uh, systematic discourse. So these are the four points now we are going to try to investigate. So we're not going to try to read into uh, Long Chen's you know, mind. That's beyond us, but uh, anyway, on so many levels, I, I, I suppose. But what we're going to try to do is to see in this text, what is being problematized? What are the categories used? What are the background knowledge, you know, the type of background knowledge Long Chen refers to when he's talking about Buddha nature? And how is basically his discourse structured? What are the steps? What are, you know, the sequences? And to do this, now I'd like to define what is textual. TDA, textual discourse analysis. So we have an idea of discourse now. Uh, now, what is this textual thing? What does it have to do? Well, the approach here is basically corpus-based. And it's really you know, all about trusting the text as, as the linguist John Sinclair um, uh, you know, advises us to do. So basically, we are not going to do distant reading like Moretti, right? We're not going to build clusters uh, with algorithms that are like a black box. We're going to go into the text. Uh, I've been trained personally more as a philologist, and, and what I want to, to do with these tools is not to distantiate myself from the text I'm interested in, but quite the opposite. How I can take a deep dive into a text, a text that is basically 
that might potentially answer questions I have. So here, first, we have project design. And project design, we have a few things to do. We have to define the project terms we're interested in, the corpus. We're going to delineate the corpus. Then we have to pre-process the project corpus. And we have to define, you know, define some, some sub-corpus meaning of text that are really about what, what we're looking for. And here we have to deal with various types of textual units, but a word on that in, in a second. Then what do we do? Then we have to understand you know, the relationship between these texts in the corpus with regard to the question we have. So we can have a network analysis of interpretive frameworks. Finally, we'll select some texts. We'll go deeper at the text level. So we're not at the macro level of the corpus where we're talking about networks of, of related text through their frames. We're talking now about an analyzing classifications, phraseology, problematization at the text level. So we're going to look at that for each text. And finally, we're going to look at how we have uh, possibly a narrative employment of the discourse on Buddha nature in Longchenpa's past text in some key text that we have identified for this process. And that's going to be at the micro level because there we're really going into basically um, the meanings of the semantic uh, value of, of this text with regard to our questions. There are other things that I'm not going to talk too much about today, but we have an optional analysis we can do. We can, for example, you know, have specific queries about detecting, analyzing refutations in, in a scholastic context or a metaphor in, in a narrative, um, from narrative perspective. We can do citation analysis too. We can as well have a diachronic and synchronic analysis, comparative analysis of, you know, what's happening in Longchen Pass Corpus compared to, say, Dolpo Pass Corpus when talking about Deshenimbo uh, or Tathagata Garbari. So there is basically various options we, we have there. But today, I'm just going to talk about these three phases, this core analysis of uh, this textual discourse analysis I am, I am recommending for this type of, of basic investigations. So here, we're going to use only time-tested corpus linguistic scripts and, and text mining algorithms. And then as well, we're going to use the whole philological work then, uh, you know, find text, possibly edit them, read them. So first, defining the project corpus, I'm, I use the PALTEC because it's been digitized. We're talking about 26 volumes or so several thousands of pages. And here, the whole idea is to be systematic. So I start with just a research question that is, you know, very, I mean, very basic one, I guess. Like, what, what is uh, Lungchenpa talking about when he talks about Buddha nature? What's, what does he understand there, you know? And so is there a structured discourse about it? Maybe not. Maybe there is. Uh, if yes, what are the, the sequence of, of discourse moves or steps, you know? What kind of, like, uh, linguistic and, and philological features are important in respect to this. So all sorts of, of questions. Did he change his mind over time? Uh, does he follow someone? You know, so all these questions are questions you can you can always inspire say, by Dolpopa, for example, which was the big question at some point, you know. Uh, Aguirre talked about it in the profusion of the that sphere. So you have here a variety of questions, research questions around the topic. And to do that, you have to define first key terms. And here we're going to use Deshen Impo, so Sugata Garba, which is a very Nigma terminology. And we'll use to, you know, Tatagata Garba, so Deshen Impo, because that's obvious, so abbreviated or in full. And then uh, expressions such as uh, 
Sanjay Kikam uh, Buddha Datu, for example, because this is another kind of a term you find there. Now, the corpus you have when you get your files, your text files, has to be pre-processed. And here I'd like to thank Marika Mellon of uh, the University of Cambridge and then Ellie Hu from BTRC because they are the ones who, who gave us the tool, the, the digital humanities tool, the Python tools, the whole like complex, like basically, you know, um, infrastructure to be able to, to, uh, to pass this text and to define lexical units. So, you know, having basically the possibility to use then, you know, Python scripts as we get words. Now, this is complex, as you know, this uh, tokenization, you know, issues are not easy. So they worked a lot on that and get to a certain level. Now, I won't talk too much about this one now, you know, this, the need for pre-processing -pro -pre the, the corpus, but this is very much an iterative process. As you ask questions and explore, and i show you what, what exploration means here, then you will, again, segment your corpus, basically, you know, pass it in different ways. You will delexicalize compounds. You will basically re-lexicalize, you know, uh, lexical units as being their own words, so to speak. So you will build different, you know, lexical units. For example, if you're interested in togel and you're, you know, the text pre-processing separated to and gel, then you might want to, for example, have togel as one compound. And, and it's like this with a lot of technical terms. So there is no such thing as a, as a single corpus. And I will, I will say that working on the corpus, like working on the garden, depending on what the research question is, this step is incredibly important. But that's, that's more something that we, we, well, could talk about maybe someday, you know, or, or maybe in, in a blog uh, video, because this is uh, a little bit technical. And it depends on whatever the question is. Right, so you need sometimes to have different words to be able to make sense of what's going on. So here, for example, you can see that here, this Nimpo is has been lexicalized as one compound, and and you know this is something you work on your text files so that you will have when you use a corpus linguistic tool like EntConc, and when you look for uh, concordances like now, so you get basically this result. So here, what do you do? The first step is to start with you have text files and hundreds of works. And what you do here is you start by looking for occurrences of project terminology across the entire corpus, because we don't know actually where to start here. And so what we do is that we have various ways to do this, but the most simple, I think, is just to use this, this tool, see the hits you get, understand you know, in which text they appear. And here you can validate basically your understanding of what's happening. For example, some text, I've just one mentioned, some text have more. And you can you can check this with other tools such as, uh, um, for example, dispersion plots, which is basically, you know, um, visual representation of the entire text and every hit is marked in red where it happens in the text. And so you get a sense of all the conversations, for example, the occurrences of this term at the beginning of the text, throughout the text, or just at the end, you know, in a visual way. So from that, you basically have three type of textual units that I think are worth being distinguished. Statements, that's isolated, basically, you know, occurrences of the term in, in a sentence. You have discussions, meaning in text, you're gonna find several occurrences and it's quite um, 
quite important throughout the text and its multiple occurrences. And then you're going to have what I call works. And works are, uh, you know, um, uh, like the by Mipam. It's basically a work that's going to be dedicated really on the topic that is the, you know, um, project term. And so, for example, work on Buddha nature. So this is this is important because it means that in that case, the the project term is topicalized to a high degree in the text you are looking at. So here you have the files, you know, the text, the name of the text, the section or the cycle. And here you'll see these numbers very often, they're just the, the coding, the bibliographical coding for the text. It's an easier way to relate with what we're dealing with here. So what did we get? And that's the first interesting finding. If I'm not really interested in isolated statements here, because my question is about the discourse, right? So what is basically Longshan Pa talking about? So here I find I found quite a few discussions. I found texts from, I mean, discussions basically on Buddha nature in which Buddha nature is, is thematized, but not topicalized as a work. So there's no work basically on Buddha nature by Longshan Pa, but there are quite a few discussions in the most important text he wrote. So we have here, you know, the text in the Semin also, for example, but as well, all the Zodin, most of the Zodin are there. Drupta uh, Zhe, for example, Tsigdun Zhe. So, but um, what the Yishin Zhe too is here. So we have like basically, and of course the uh, very important uh, Chain Zhe. So we have discussion, extensive discussion with the nature across various time periods in his life. And here I'm following Agir and the chronology of Agir and Wangchuk. So very early text in the Lama Yangtik, for example, the Namka Longchen on a very interesting text as we will see on, on Tekcho and Tagal. And here, so various discussions occurring throughout time, but no commentary on the Ratnagotra Vibhaga, which is very important, and no work dedicated to uh, Buddha nature. So I was trying to, oh, there you go. So now we're going to take this subcorpus of discussions and, and processes. And here I'm following, um, basically to understand these interpretive frameworks or frames, I'm following uh, a theoretical, you know, approach designed by, by uh, I mean, linguists, central linguists, very important linguists like Marvin Minsky, Charles Fillmore, and Lawrence Barcelou. And, their idea is that basically frames, so are all these kinds of background knowledge that are necessary to make sense of a thermal statement in relation to situation, to specific situation or specific context. So basically what's the frame, what's the situation, what's the background knowledge one needs to know to make sense of a given text statement or term. If I'm telling you, for example, we never open our presence until morning, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and yet, I haven't mentioned Christmas. But so, this is what frames do. They prime the audience, they set the context. And so they're very important for us to understand uh, what, you know, Longshen Pa is after when he's using Buddha nature. So here, we are going to use topic modeling tools and intertextually scripts as well, visualization tools to make sense of what is happening between this text and how they're connected at the level of the corpus. And we will have a sense of interpretive frameworks 
in the subcorpus discussions, the structure of the corpus in terms of like how texts might be related to one another, and possibly find some interesting stuff I'm going to, to maybe expand more on now. So here is the result of the topic modeling tool. So the topic modeling tool is uh, a simple tool written in Java that you run on your, on your text and gives you basically the various topics a text, you know, contain. So here we have our text, the subcorpus. When I'm going to speak of the subcorpus, it's a subcorpus of discussions on Buddha nature found in the more in larger corpus, right, of texts composed by Longchen Bao. And here we have these um, these four, you know, um, uh, these five sorry topics: Mahayana, pure appearance, Dzogchen, the ground and or basis in the sense of Ashi uh, and delusion, Tripa. And so here the topic modeling will tell you it's a topic, and I disagree for a reason. I will I will explain in a second. These are more, I believe, interpretive frameworks, and this is how I'm using this tool. Why am I saying this? Because if a text, for example, here, the Shita Chenpo, right? The commentary chapter four on the Sanying also, if it's very heavy on Mahayana, which it is, then you can consider that Mahayana might be some kind of topic, right? But in the case in some of some texts, we have multi-frame text, text in which there is several topics you know, happening at the same time. And these texts are very important because the question then is like, what's happening in this text? Why is Long Chenpa talking about Buddha nature using various frames? And so this is where this analysis is becoming interesting. Now we found a text already. We have one first finding, a text that has never been mentioned too much, actually uh, in the study on, on Buddha nature, according to Long Chenpa, which is the Namka Long Chen, and very early text in the Lama Yangtik. And so in which you see we, you have quite, I mean, a few like, like, you know, frameworks that are found. So here, if you have questions, we can go back to the text, what they are about and all this, but maybe I'm just going to go after the workflow of the, of, you know, the work here. So what's, what we do here is to try at this stage, it's very much about exploring your subcorpus. What you want to do is use GIFI, input the data, and then there you get this dynamic representation of a network of text and, and basically um, frameworks. And here it's static because it's a, an image, but when you use the software itself, you can move it. So it's very easy to basically, even if you have a very large number of texts in your corpus, so your corpus might have you know 500 texts connected to frameworks or topics, then you can move the whole like you know uh, network very easily and get a better sense of what texts are connected to which topic in a visual way which is uh, really helpful to know your to get to know your yourself corpus better the other thing too and here i want to thank paul fiertaler who created this um algorithm here you can explore intertextual patterns at the level of the corpus so for example here you see we have three mahayana texts that are very much connected because they share strings of text and these strings of text are citation. So Paul created another tool, which is basically here you have the text, here it's the beginning of the text and then the end of the text and then the location where you have common strings with other text. So you can basically, you know, see that these two texts, this one is a uh, chapter 18 of the, uh, of the commentary, Pema Karpo and the Yishinze, and this one is 
uh, a text on distinguishing a sem and yeshe. So yes, say sem dong yeshe kichilen. And so this text share quotes, and this is very important because it helps you validate as well the, the, the frameworks in a way. Usage of a, of a quotes is very significant in long-chain pass commentaries. And so if you need, for example, to make sure you have uh, basically identified some common uh, uh, quotes or strings of text, that can be as well text reuse. Uh, you can have uh, text that are that are almost identical, or you can have mistakes in the corpus. So you can have two texts that, that share almost everything because you know they have been cataloged as different texts, but they're actually the same text. I found, for example, in Lama Yangtik, two texts, short texts by Long Chenpa that are virtually identical. They're made of two very large quotes. What differs is only you know what what comes before the two lines coming before introducing basically each quote. So these tools are very interesting. That's an aligner uh, made it by from the, I mean, that's been produced by the Solvent University. And so you can get into the text, look at the corpus and start basically having an idea, you know, of what kind of text can be, can be sampled. I mean, used to sample the corpus, which is another very important aspect. If you're dealing with a very large corpus of text, you might want to, to go through sampling, basically making sure that, for example, you're not going to just look at the text by Longchen Pa on Buddha nature in the Mahayana context, but it you would like to cover every kind of you know context you will use Buddha nature uh, in, and so that's a tool you can use to do that. So you list the main interpretive frameworks, and then basically you start having hypotheses, working hypotheses. And it's very much an iterative, you know, um, process of exploration. So you have a question, you say, oh, that's funny, there's this in this text, there's this quote, and you go back like this several times, starting understanding what's what's the relationship between this text. So here, the next uh, stage is basically to take a, a deeper dive now into the text themselves. And here, we're going to look at the phraseology. So for to do that, we will basically look at, at you know, recurrent word sequences, right? Lexical bundles or chunks word clusters, multi-word expressions, recurrent adjacent words, basically, like engrams, right? So anything that will ensure in the text lexical cohesion and textual coherence, which linguistically are very important to, to you know, um, to provide some sort of like sequentiality to the text and, and, and structure. And then what are we gonna do here? We're gonna use a few algorithms. So to identify keywords, uh, or to give us an idea of what the text is really about beyond just the topic modeling tool, which as we've seen is not really telling us actually what the topic is, but more what are the various, you know, cognitive frameworks are used by the author in these discussions. So here we go for collocation networks and word trees too. And this will give us a fair idea of what categories are used in this text and then what they problematize, you know, what is the problem this text is about? What is the thing this text is about actually? And we are gonna give here a very uh, close look at the uh, multi-frame text. So here I used various um, ways to define keywords or to understand what's going on. Uh, I'm gonna go very fast, but here is an example of the Pema Carposo, very important text I translated, um, that was in the first shift, uh, most of it uh, for uh, um, Matthew Capstein, an article I wrote on that text. 
and it'll be in a forthcoming publication with together with Mipan's commentary. So here we have the root text, Ishinzo by Longchen Pa, Pemakarpo is self-commentary, and then commentary by Mipan. So if we look at the Pemakarpo, what we find is immediately without reading everything, you get with this an idea of, oh, wait, it's about the two truths. There's a discourse here on the two truths, uh, the Nam Denpa, You have uh, a Zeldunam, you know, Kunzop Denpa. So, and you look at various things here. For example, here you see the terminology, Dak, you know. So you see, you see Ze, Rong, Ngopo, Telwa. So you, you, you understand with the Dunning method of keywordness at the level of the entire corpus, not the subcorpus, but entire corpus, that you're dealing with a text that has quite a high scholastic content because of the expressions that are being used here. And then you have Denpa, of course, here too. Same thing with uh, Voyant, which is a, a platform, online platform that has this as well, you know, um, like a, a keyword, distinctive word feature. And here you have Kunzo, right? So you have like a lot of Dundam then. So you see that without reading the entire text, you start having an idea, okay, this text, it's interesting. This text might be interesting. Now we do a word tree and we take the five more frequent words and we built a word tree, which is basically a way to represent collocations. So frequent collocations. And there are very, there's so much to, to learn here from that and so much we can, we can get because without reading too much the text, you can see already, you know, that. So frequent collocations, so then part together with year, like year man, all these things, I guess, or, you know, will be highlighted, come bigger. And then, you know, you see that this discussion here in relation to Denpa, you find Dundam and Kunza quite often on the left side that we're talking collocation. So basically terms that come together within a, a horizon of free words on the left. And so, you know, Nelo, Jirme, so we're not like really talking about anything too, too surprising here. And then you do this. So with Kunza Tanye, you know, like you start understanding with all the, the frequent words and their word trees what the text might actually like be problematizing through specific categories that are related with this idea. And so here, when you do that, what's happening is that basically you have to do it for all text in the subcorpus. So this I'm showing you, you know, just this slide and that slide, but it's like fingerprinting the phraseology of each text. And we do this for, for each text in the subcorpus because we want to know, okay, what should we read? What are we interested in? What could be interesting? And so you have a mass of information there about like, you know, you, you, you're you going to have, oh, like probably all in all, like close to, for for example, 14 discussions we have in the subcorpus. You can end up having a hundred or more, you know, pages of information. You can run more on some text as well. You can have specific queries here. For example, of course, this in book, you know, things like that. So you go with your queries, and you start having a better idea of what the text is about. So here our findings are, well, you can validate working hypothesis. And here, you know, when we look at the multi-frame text that I was saying were very important and interesting because what is happening when Longchen Pai is using various interpretive frameworks from Mayana, from Dzogchen, from Delusion, from all these different ideas, then basically you understand that, you know, you have two texts, like, so the one, the Semdong Yeshiki Jilen is basically on the distinction between 
Sen and, and Rigpa or Yeshe, which is a central theme in the Dzogchen tradition. The Nam Kalungchen is about the path and it's about Tekcha and Tegel, that's starting from the entire path. And this is where the discussion occurs about you know, Buddha nature and it's an early text. And then you have the Pema Kalpa, as we've just seen, which is more scholastic about the two truths, meaning a kind of like you know, doctrinal text and the only one in the subcorpus. So the Nam Kalungchen is the only one that basically is about the entire path, you know, from and particularly Dzogchen path. And the uh, Pema Kalpa is the only text that is about a scholastic presentation of Buddha nature. So here you can as well, for each frame, find the text and the text that is, well, that is focused on that like frame, but, but not only that, that you validate through, you know, phraseology analysis. And so it gives you as well a way to sample. So imagine in the subcorpus, we have 50 texts. We can now, you know, have a better sense of what's going on. We can sample it in a way that's going to be more systematic and probably more grounded as well. So now we have to turn to the reading part. Uh, Jake, I'm sorry. I hope I'm not too long. It's 40 minutes already, and I, I'm going to need a little bit more time. <laughs> Is okay? All right. So here we're going to basically look at the text by the sequences. I mean, what is interesting for us here is the sequences, right? The steps, the, the discourse steps. So, and how these uh, these uh, steps, these sequences of moves, of discourse moves, are basically reflecting, reflective, sorry, of of a genre, possibly. And this is a, a work that John Swells um, has has done here, building the theoretical. Uh, basically foundation for this approach and um, follow that because I think it's very systematic and very close to the text. So we read the text, we take note of all steps, all moves, so whatever is happening, you know, in the text. So any section of text that serves a particular communicative function. And I'll show you an example on that. And then we can have, I mean, we can produce a synthesis of, of basically these discourse steps so this, you know, um, discourse directionality across the subculture. So we get a sense of like where is basically Longchen Pa getting at when he's going, you know, um, through in these discussions about Buddha nature. It's good too to uh, evaluate the discourse coherence in case there are, you know, uh, variation, diachronic or synchronic variations at times. Either synchronic in the way the doctrine or you know the discourse is built or diachronic if it changes its mind, you know, in the course of time. So for example, if you have a radical different pattern of discourse at some point in the same uh, basically topic, then you will show, you will see it for that. Because at some point, some moves will be contradicting others, basically. And so here, we, we based on that, we find that basis, path, and result, according to the Dzogchen tradition, is really the, the you know, sequence of moves within which all these these different texts like basically you know take place and then the implotment here is basically revealed very clearly i i believe through the multi-frame text uh, i just mentioned earlier so how does it work practically we just list all the moves you see for each so for each text i listed all the moves here so we go like first explanation of the fundamental meaning that is superior to all others beginning of the text you know that's for the non so this Lama Yantik, very interesting 
text that hasn't been quite researched yet. And so we see, you know, the whole logic of, of what Longchen Bai is doing here. So free pod space, the path, and the result of liberation. And so you note all the moves, all the metaphors, all the refutations. And then basically after that, when you have done that for all the texts in the subcorpus, so these are my various texts here, then what you do is to try to see if there is a sequence within which basically you have a synthesis or not. And if you have conflicts, you know, between texts with regard to this discourse sequentiality. And this is, for example, here, when we look at this discourse, so here, following a kind of a uh, analysis, uh, you know, um, uh, inspired by Ricoeur, you see that there is a prefiguration in the sense, basically, of the common experience, you know, that is at the basis of, of this narrative and plotment here that you find very much in the work of the of Longchen, but particularly then in the Namka Longchen. So the basis first is course on the basis, the ground, the basis primordially pure, but the nature as the basis pervades all beings, but is covered by advantageous defilement. So nothing you know extraordinary, you find it a love text. Then when the fundamental nature is not recognized in account of convergent ignorance, samsara manifests through conceptual ignorance. And from that, the basis of delusion appears. And see, this pattern is found in a lot of texts, not just in the text, the multi-frame text providing the synopsis or the, the you know, um, plotment, the narrative structure of this discourse. Then at the level of the path, the universal basis of comic imprints appears to be um, the support of the removal process. But since it is consumed by the two accumulations, like a flame, flame burns lamp, there is no actual process of production of the result basis. And here we get really to the core of this discourse, basically. The path, therefore, exclusively consists in a removal purification process, no production of anything. The basis of nature was always there. It was obscured. Now it's being basically revealed by removing adventitious defilements. And so in terms of practice, we have this junction. So basically, I said a word about that there, but, and then as well, check you and together. So the result here is, is the refiguration you know, resulting from the reconfiguration of experience through practice. And what do you have? Well, the pure nature that is the basis and dealt with all qualities that manifest as the ultimate non-conceptual and divisible truth. And here you find this very common description in terms of, you know, the empty essence, the luminous nature, and basically the all-pervasive, um, well, compassion, energy compassion. You find as well, in this context, a few refutations that might be of interest because they're very stable too, as how, you know, Buddha nature basically is not the void emptiness, which is very interesting, that it's not the self, the Atman, you know, of non-Buddhists. And basically, another interesting refutation, that secret mantra that you find in one text only, but is pretty much on, in line with the previous discourse here and the structure of the narrative and plotment, and that's why I put it there, basically that the view of the secret mantra can't be the same as the chitta mantra because the basis for this removal process and for the emergence of the jalje, you know, the, the result of elimination or removal of this, of this defilement is basically the basis is not the same in both traditions. In Dzogchen, that's the Buddha nature itself, whereas in uh, chitta mantra, this is the alaya vijnana. And so there's a distinction here that's made. So as a finding, we basically have the structure and context in Longchenpa's discourse on the nature of ground path and results. 
Uh, we know that there is no commentary on Ratnagotra Vibhaga. We know that the discourse is basically a sub-discourse that is part of the Dzogchen meta-discourse on the path of luminosity. And so here we did, I didn't find any, you know, I'm going, I'm rushing a bit through that, but I didn't find any evolution here. Uh, they are trying, you know, um, they're, well, kind of markers that would show that it changes mind in time or that there are uh, basically contradictions. The terminological coherence is very strong in his works when he's dealing with this discourse structure. But when he's using terminology that is not directly related to that, it can be actually very quite vague. For example, his definition of the various types of uh, kunshi sometimes, uh, so the, the basis, universal basis, is, is different from text to text. And you see it when you do this move. That's the kind of things you see when you do this move analysis. So maybe now a few, if you, you know, um, a few quotes. So now you, we've read this. So what I did after that is I was like, wow, I found the Namkalongchen. So this cool early text on basically Tugel and Tektor that maps the entire thing. And I'm going to show you how uh, basically the entire path and the way Buddha nature relates to, to that. And I translated it. Very, very difficult text. And I want to thank uh, Kenpo Contract Temple here for helping. Uh, we found a commentary on that as well. And, and it's another interesting sign that the text is important, I believe, because this text was used in Katok, basically, uh, to explain, you know, uh, the deduction path. And we have a commentary by Mipam on the other, more scholastic um, text. And so that I, I, I worked on. And so these two texts show how basically uh, they were important in the tradition too. And so that's, uh, I was very surprised by that, that there is uh, actually an extensive 150 page commentary on this short text that is about 10, 15 pages long. So we finished translated uh, this, this text. So that's, you know, basically where we got what to read, what to translate, you know, why should I do this? What can I find there? So I was really basically um, very happy with, with these results there. Uh, because otherwise, I don't think, I mean, no one looked at this text, and I don't think I would have thought of looking at, at the Lama Yongtik to find a text about Buddha nature in the corpus of like Lungchenbao. So here now, a central question, what is actually problematized here? And what is problematized essentially, you know, so that's the translation from the text I just talked about. And what is problematized is that, and that's the essential problem of Dzogchen and the use of Buddha nature here is that, you know, the Buddha element, so the basis, basically, and the Buddha's awakening, so the result, are the same. So what's even the need for a path? What's the path about? And you see, this is where basically you start going into the discourse really, and not just being at the surface more, at the surface level of things, where you say, well, the, the I mean, when Mushanpa talks about Buddha nature, he says the Buddha nature is always there, everyone has it, but then it's obscured by defilements. Sure, he's saying this, but what is what is the reason why he's using it? What is the problem? What became a problem? The problem essentially is to explain how you're going for a big journey, a big trip in a way from the basis that is your actual nature to attain something that's always been there. And this is where basically, you know, you find different conflicting, conflicting uh, you know, quotes sometimes seemingly in his works. Here, for example, are we already Buddhas or not? And in some texts, you find like, as there is no difference between beings and those who are awakened, the Buddha nature pervades all beings. That's basically here in the Yishin Zhe. But in the Lungi Zhe, the commentary on, on the Cheng Zhe, then, you know, 
the statement that um, if you think you're already a Buddha, basically this is sheer stupidity and a harsh, kind of harsh statement on his part. So what's going on? Well, again, here, we have Buddha nature to help us understand in this context what's going on, I think, in a way that's very accurate. So we have nature, you know, this kind of direct introduction to the nature of things, in which sometimes you use as well, in addition to that, so the Korde Rushen or Senzin practices to distinguish Sen from Rigpa. It's a conditioned dualistic mind from non-dual, you know, uh, awareness free from any mental preferation, free from prapancha. Um, so, and so what you have there is your own condition and the explanation of Buddha nature is that you have the sun there, it's always there, it's just veiled by clouds, just like the Buddha nature of, of beings is. So veiled by adventitious defilements. So that's the idea then to separate the two. So mind is like a mass of clouds obstructing basically the sun of awareness. In texture, texture is like basically all about removing these defilements through the path of luminosity. So luminosity is cultivated. Awareness self-liberates from the mass of clouds, from the clouds of defilements. And here, what you have is the sun shining through a gap in the clouds as a metaphor. And in this Namka Longchen, you know, um, Longchen Pa uses all these metaphors of the sun extensively and very interestingly, not just for, you know, the distinction as um, in the work that, that David Higgins actually trans translated and worked on, like the Sem Dong Yeshek Jilin, but as well in the context of Treksha and Togel, you have then this, this, this Buddha nature and explanation and the sun metaphor. So basically, Togel then is their integration of coalescence, the coalescence, basically, you know, the union, the primordial union of appearance, luminosity, and emptiness. And this is again reintegrated in Buddha nature, qua result this time, right? As Buddha nature shines forth and manifests itself, so reveals itself through its qualities. And here you have the sun and sunlight metaphor. So we start having now the idea of the various, you see, and why is connecting minor frameworks or the idea of delusion. Delusion explains how defilements arise, you know? So in various contexts, Buddha nature is used, but always with this progression in the Dzogchen path. And if you take the minor um, conversations, the Shita Chenpo's uh, commentary of the Senning uh, so, then what you see is that it's a chapter. And this chapter is basically one, one, topic towards you know, the understanding of Dzogchen ideas. So it's not even a commentary on Ratnagotra Vibhaga, even if he quotes it a lot in all these Mahayana, basically, discussions. And here the tale, maybe, of a, of a tale of water and ice. To explain, really, you know, Dzogchen, I mean, Longchen position there, we have this very beautiful metaphor, which we find in the Shita Chimbo. And so one may think, this is a primordial fundamental nature that is not established as samsara. Therefore, it cannot be logically posited as a samsara that occurs from within Buddha nature. So here we have a like kind of thing, you know, what's going on, you know? Is it like samsara or not? Or is it, you know, why is it? And then the answer is quite amazing here. This is not so. Just like limpid, transparent water free from all impurities is turned into ice as hard as stone because of winter wind in the same way because of cognitions arising in terms of apprehender and apprehended from within the primordial state, 
there is the perception that this primordial state manifests as very solid delusory appearances. In one word, you know, mind is solidified awareness. And so this is a very peculiar vision that, uh, you know, Longchenpa has when he's basically using Buddha nature. It's that, you know, there is no separation actually in the nature of, of mind with awareness. And so you can't quite, in this doctrine discourse, separate basically, you know, ice and water. Are they the same? They're not. Are they different? They're not. And so the whole discourse is very, I think it's a big, kind of a dis important distinction with the way Dolpopa uses this terminology, for example. It's that we're talking about an epistemic process here that's described by Longchenpa when he uses Buddha nature. And an epistemic, you know, a cognitive process of unveiling, not an ontological discussion on what things are. So here on the path of luminosity, we have another interesting uh, uh, quote here. Namely, I mean, in relation to that, it's it's the whole discussion now on the two truths. You know, it's basically in the other text that is very important. So the 18th chapter, Pema Kapo. So Long Chenpa explains what he thinks, you know, about the relationship between the two truths. And here, I think I'm going to stop here because it's a way to tease. If you want to know more, then, you know, stay tuned. But um, there is a very important model he come, he come up with, which I believe has been highly influential on, on Mipam, actually. So here we have a whole basically representation in a scholastic way of the two truths. And I will I will be uh, publishing on that. So if you're interested, actually, there's be a lot, a lot on this uh, aspect too. So thank you so much for your attention. If you have any questions, please let me know. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you.